Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we're going to discuss business, politics, and cultures on this show. And I'm your host, Tonya Keating, coming to you live from the Seattle area at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on Wednesday, September 24th. Listeners, uh, dial 646-378-0261 to chime in and press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak so we know you're out there. Uh, One thing I finally learned about the chat feature through one of our um, production assistants is that it doesn't work so well. So especially if you don't have a Blog Talk Radio account, apparently. So open one up if you prefer and you want to fire off a comment or two that way versus talking live. But this afternoon, we have up to two hours of talk time about political correctness and whether or not it's slowly eroding our freedoms. If we finish up in a shorter time frame, that's fine, too. I don't care. Uh, but this is something that many of us see or hear playing out on the Internet or during the course of conversation with family, friends, and colleagues. So we yeah, thought it'd be a good topic. So let's do a bit of stage setting here, talk a little bit about what sparked the topic idea, at least on our end. Uh, and basically, my spouse and I belong to a local and private Facebook group. I mean, I'm not going to name names at this point, but the bottom line is that some members were having a discussion about a coffee shop and its owners, some who are local and others who aren't, and their affiliation with a controversial church and pastor. So they were talking about boycotting the store and felt the corporation should go on the record separating itself from this religious institution. Throughout the course of discussion, there were counterpoints about the right to religious freedom and the question uh, as to if there was actually a formal link between the corporation and the church was raised. But for some people, it really didn't matter. And the fact that the owners were involved was enough for them to uh, make that decision. And that's a fair point. Um, But to make a long story short, there were a few members in particular who made a big show of being against any business that didn't accept all people. And yet, ironically, they were justifying their own failure to practice this by suggesting it was okay to be intolerant of the intolerant uh, because their target's offenses were greater. So that's a whole issue of moral equivalence out there that we're not going to get into detail um, about right now. But those who disagreed with this ended up insulted and mischaracterized, and it just kind of blew up into this really comical thing. I hadn't gotten involved up to that point, and then finally I jumped in, tongue planted firmly in cheek. I mean, I know that doesn't translate well always on the Internet, but it was. And I started yanking the chain of one of the ringleaders who was basically acting like some fellow that wanted to pound the people in the Coliseum because he didn't have the agreement that he wanted. And, of course, as you might have expected, that person began to yelp and call me a troll and and essentially you know, being unable to take the very medicine that he was dishing out to others, which I found amusing enough to bring up the topic as one of our future shows. So, you know, here we are. And when we were thinking about putting this together, uh, some of the questions we started asking, there were you know three people in our meeting in the beginning and then it grew, but it was one of those, as the world evolves and more efforts are being made to understand and embrace different cultures and religions and lifestyles, um, is society resorting to political correctness, uh, which sets it on a path to, as some term it, social Marxism? 
Uh, and the other question was, when is it acceptable, you know, to hold individuals and corporations and its executives accountable for their prejudicial beliefs or the organizations they support? You know, in this instance, the church was uh, making, or at least the pastor was making some very outrageous comments about women um, and also homosexuals. So, you know, I, I don't know much about the religion itself other than the fact that I tend to think that a lot of religions are are sort of outdated and, and have a lot of doctrines that I don't agree with, which is why I'm not religious. Um, but anyway, the third question that we started, you know, pouncing around when we thought about, you know, how to frame this this show today is, you know, can we go too far in pursuing a story or justice or what we perceive as righteous and open-minded behavior? Um, and is there a point when the offended person actually becomes the offender, which is sort of what happened in this instance with the uh, Facebook group I'm talking about? I mean, this person was offended um, by this coffee shop um, uh, owners, their owners, but at, at the same time, they became very offensive and it was justifiable to them. So the, the question is, is it all fair in the pursuit of a tolerant society? I mean, we talk about the idea of you know, freedom and, and your rights end where another person's begins. And so we just thought we'd put that together and start uh, throwing out some comments to callers and people that were interested. So uh, just to back up a little bit, I mean, what is political correctness? Okay. Uh, you can go out there and Google it. We'll just start with a simple thing and then try not to, uh, you know, overanalyze it. But Google, you know, pulled it up and said political correctness is the avoidance often considered uh, as taken to extremes of forms of expression or actions that are perceived to exclude, marginalize, or insult groups of people who are socially disadvantaged or discriminated against. Well, you know, I can certainly start picking that apart you know, right away with socially disadvantaged. And, you know, discriminated against is valid, but I, I also think to some some degree, at, at what point by labeling people this way um, do you actually perpetuate that state of being? I mean, some people are socially disadvantaged and discriminated against, but some people are just, you know, the subject of or the target of ignorance. It doesn't mean that they're disadvantaged. And, and to what degree can we empower them to be something more than victims or people that um, we have to tiptoe around so that they can actually stand in their own power? So another discussion, maybe for another day, but uh, just starting to throw that out there. Um, you know, some of the things that I was thinking about uh, when having this discussion is allowing anybody to call in and going as long as we go and taking some chat comments and, and going from there. And uh, we're going to discuss a few things here this afternoon and hopefully get to hear voices from a variety of perspectives. So before we get that going, let's just lay down some ground rules or some guidelines. Um, don't want to be politically correct, but we're set up as an all-ages show for now. I'd like to keep it that way, so let's try to keep things civil and on point. Yeah, your opinion doesn't have to be popular, but crazy just isn't going to fly here today. You know, you, you, This is not the place to call and just vent and be crazy. Not going to happen. Uh, I may ask you some questions or challenge your input. Uh, merely, you know, to get some more discussion or to, to kind of tweak or or tease out some more information from you. It's not because I want to force my opinion down your throat, so try not to get defensive. Just, you know, look at the other side and, you know, let's try to roll with some discussion here. Uh, anyway, uh, the first thing that I just saw in the chat was that a person read that uh, political correctness or the charge of political correctness is the arsenal of conservatives. And they are saying they found this odd and a bit simplistic, given the many left-leaning people they know who share some of the same opinions and concerns. 
Valid. Uh, and yes, of course, uh, in doing some of our research for the show, uh, Chris was doing some things, I was doing some things, Charles was doing some things, and uh, we had another person working with us. And of course, you, know, you can't really go uh, out there and look at something about political correctness without seeing it politicized. And so, yes, it, it, I have found, and, and uh, as this uh, the chat person just wrote, that, yeah, we, we do hear that political correctness is something that is used as a weapon, um, usually by conservatives, to um, uh, justify some of the quote-unquote mean or unsavory things that they say and think. Um, and, you know, frankly, I agree with the, the uh, writer that said that I have people from all walks of poli- the political spectrum, left, right, uh, in between, moderate, extreme, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. But there are a lot of people out there that are tired of tiptoeing around and not being able to be who they are and say who they are and, and say what they think and say what they think should be done about certain situations or issues um, without being considered uh, someone who's uh, you know racist or insensitive or whatever term that someone wants to foist upon them. And then the conversation becomes more about that than the issue that we're really trying to address at the time. So I'm looking here, and I see some calls coming in. Chris is giving me a little wave. I'm going to see who this is, and we'll roll from there. Hello. Who's out there? Charles. Oh, hello, Charles. (laughs) So what say you about some of the stuff that we've been talking about today? Well, I would say that when it comes to political correctness, people opportunists abound. I don't think it's anything that's just strictly conservative or liberal or anything in between. In fact, I think it's kind of a pervasive way of trying to deal with arguments without dealing with the facts. When you basically say, well, you can't believe that without looking at there are pluses and minuses to almost all arguments, and people generally, when they resort to political correctness, don't want to look at the other side of an argument. Um, you know, uh, if they're talking about crime and, and race, you know, they don't want to look at stats. They don't want to look at offenders. Um, if they want to talk about uh, environmentalists, they don't want to look at the other side of the coin where they're all using resources or we're all trying to accomplish things and they want to basically have their own but not allow somebody else to have what they want. You know, there's, there's any time you're dealing with political correctness in the generic sense, you can apply to any, to any specific situation, but generically you're talking about situations where people don't want to deal with the facts of an argument. I think it's a lazy way of, of, of approaching an argument. So I think a couple of things that I want to say to that is, number one, wherever you are, if you can get to a better a corner somewhere for reception, because I'm not really hearing you that well from wherever you are. Um, and the other thing that I was going to say is not necessarily a challenge, but just a, a point, is that there's something to be said for an enlightened viewpoint, um, which says we really should try to be nicer to one another. And everything that can be said doesn't need to be said. So, you know, the question I would say is, what's the balance point between being able to tell the truth and being considerate of others? Well, I think there there was a, uh, I forget who it was that said it. He says, we shouldn't be practicing oozy honesty. Okay, yeah, I'm going to give you my argument, but I'm going to give it to you in such a way where I'm going to cut you up to shreds and, you know, vilify you so badly that your argument won't appear to have any merit whatsoever. But that's not the case either. So, yes, we should be able to communicate with one another without 
first off, I think the first step is not attacking the messenger just because of the message. You know, the ad hominem arguments, for instance, you know, are, are logically false. Just because, you know, you don't like what somebody's saying doesn't mean you attack that person uh, directly. Um, and that, I think, is a big uh, situation that obviously is very common in a lot of these arguments and debates. Well, I think that's another aspect of the the topic, um, or at least the situation that led to the the topic for the show, and that was a a certain version of, um, I, I would say, activism that had some roots in um, in in validity. It was it was valid in some ways. I mean, obviously, you don't want people going around and and having uh, repressive-type organizations that are saying that it's okay to hold certain groups back. But like you said, there was almost a rationalization of an ad hominem approach to um, deciding how to react to that situation. And so they, it, was, it was a lot easier to just throw every owner of that business under the bus and say, you know, you're a homophobe and you're a racist and you're a misogynist. And to use that to, you know, kind of rally the troops around that belief and to justify, you know, boycotting, which is certainly a right, but, to, you know, to try to put somebody out of business by making very, very loose connections and not really having any responsibility or any obligation to to follow through on that due diligence and make sure that the information's accurate. Yeah, I, I think uh, when you come into boycotting, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to make a personal choice. I don't like that business. I don't like the way they do business. I don't like something maybe about the owner. You can make a personal choice to say, well, you know, because of my personal feelings, I'm not going to do business with them. But I think most boycotters are out to grandstand a situation and and are inevitably going to want to distort the facts to strengthen their position. And in the process of doing so, um, you know, by distorting the argument, because they want to do damage. And I think that's when boycotts get out of control. So, yeah, maybe they're an owner of a business. Maybe he is a homophobe. Maybe he is racist. Maybe he isn't, hasn't been the most sensitive person. Um, there's, there's a whole scale to it, right? Um, and uh, some people are obviously uh, more overt. Overt versus subversive, I, I don't know which is worse or better. Um, the point being, I think we have to figure out uh, how do we want to react to situations. And you know what? I look at it. I take some of it with a grain of salt when, say, you know, somebody doesn't like uh, Chick-fil-A. You know, I don't care. You know, I don't go out and eat chicken anyways. But you know, there was a whole bunch of protests about them at one point in time, and yet they were still very popular. So I mean, I, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Well, yeah, I think the the. Um when Chick-fil-A or when a corporation actually goes out there and, and, and creates policy based upon the philosophies and the beliefs of the owner, I think that that puts them in a different uh, position in terms of people being able to take shots at them. Uh, but I also think that you brought up a good point of, you know, what happens if a person really is what they're accused of? And, and what are the choices that we all have? I mean, obviously, one of those choices is to boycott. And in that uh, group, I was actually asked the question, and then, of course, because, you know, it's it's pretty clear what, what I am to some people, um, they said, well, what would you feel like if you had, if you found out that the coffee shop owner's 
belonged to a racist organization. And I said, you know what? Here's the way I feel about it. may not be the way other people feel about it, but to me, you can't legislate how people feel. You can't legislate how they believe and how they feel uh, and what they think. Um, but at the same time, for me, if I walk into your store, I have an expectation of being treated lawfully and respectfully and without discrimination and like everyone else. It's a transaction. And if we're able to conduct that transaction, I'm fine. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you do in your personal life within reason. But for me, at that point in time, it's really about equitability. So I'm not the kind of person who's going to uh, just automatically start to boycott everyone that doesn't like me or people like me, because if I did, I would never leave my home. There are so many people out there that put on the show of being more enlightened, more intolerant, more embracing than they really are. Uh, some of them are people I know very well. They don't mean it. Some of them do. But the reality is that it's out there. And it, instead of trying to get everyone to pretend to be uh, certain types of people, I think you have to come to a point of, of reality where you just say, this is a line that I'm going to draw on the sand, and I am not going to go around protesting every business just because they don't like certain people. So yeah. um, I, it, it brings up the question for me, uh, is, are, we more gen, are we more interested in a genuinely civil and embracing or tolerant society or merely the appearance of it? You know? Well, because I think my experience we're obviously is, it, in genuine, genuineness, but some of the appearances are necessary. Like you say, civility is a layer where some people may feel like it's insincere, but in reality, it is an end to itself. In other words, even if I don't like you, being civil towards you allows us to have transactional-type behavior towards one another where I'm not going to be your best friend, but at least by being civil we can both have an enjoyable transaction, do something, and get on with our lives without affecting each other negatively as much. So I think I was, that's yeah. where political correctness gets it wrong. Oh, well, you know, or gets it, you may, I should say gets it wrong, gets it right. There is a certain amount of civility that you do want to bring to conversation, even if you hold different beliefs, to allow those things, you paper over them a little bit so that you know, people can get along without, um, you know, stepping on toes all the time. You know, and I just saw a comment that said, you know, at what point are you selling out against your people by not standing up to people that don't sell to uh, your groups? And my my response to that is, you know, everyone that lives in this world has a right to make a decision and be who they are. And there are certain groups out there that are not uh, groups of color or groups of gender um, that have the right to make a decision, a critical decision regarding their lives. And I think that if you are allowed to make those types of decisions and those value judgments, then everyone else is. Instead of looking at one group and saying, well, I have a right to make all types of diverse um, decisions, but you, you as a group have to make a certain type of decision. I, I, I soundly reject that. Um, I have a right to decide what matters to me. It doesn't matter what I look like on the outside. Um, it's really an intellectual exercise for me. And I also think that it's an opportunity when you do have people that don't agree or, or think the same thing or have the same opinion, that it's an opportunity to have a dialogue instead of shouting them down and demonizing and labeling them as racist or homophobes which shuts down the conversation and it just puts people in boxes and it engenders an us, us versus uh, them society, which is of no interest to me. 
you know, there was one or example that I had. Or season where that's going to be very popular, too. Well, it's already beyond that. I mean, it, we can talk some more about the um, some different things that have happened out there in you know the internet and in the news and how it's resulted in um, some really drastic decisions uh, where it's cost jobs and it's led people to make apologies and some good things obviously too where you have to be more conscientious. But a personal story. I'm not going to get into the details, but it just goes back to what this person just said about quote unquote selling out. I lived on the East Coast for a while and I used to go into this. Uh, CD and and you know music store basically and so I walked in like I walk into pretty much every place like I have a right to be there and I you know go there to conduct my business and there was a person that worked there uh, who uh, you know wanted to know what I wanted to listen to and why I was there he was doing his job and in the course of having conversations about the type of music that I liked we started to form a bond. And so every time I came into the store, we would talk some more, and we would just kind of hang out and talk about different things and different subjects in life and whatever. But over time, over several months, we became very good friends. We became very close friends. I mean, he had a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend, so it wasn't anything romantic. But there came a point after about, I would say, eight months or ten months where he was going to be relocating to another part of the coast. And he told me goodbye and said that he was really grateful for the friendship that we had struck up and that I had changed his life. And I didn't really understand what he, you know, I didn't understand what he was talking about until he pulled back like a part of his arm and showed me a swastika. And he used to be a skinhead up until the point until he had met me. So if I had been one of those people that had walked in and said, you're a skinhead, I'm out of here. I mean, yeah, sure, that's my right. But in walking in and not knowing that and then striking up a conversation with each other during the course of business, we actually ended up forming such a close friendship, a genuine friendship, that his life was changed by that. And so I, I just think that those are the types of stories that make it even more important for us to get past always wanting to say the right thing to the right person at the right time and being willing to take a chance. That's right. You know, and you could say, you know, for him, if he had been around his friends, he probably would have felt a lot more pressure to go, oh, you can't be hanging out with that that black chick, what are you doing, man? But because he had an opportunity to make his own individual choice without any additional pressure, he just over time figured out that you were a cool person and he liked you and liked engaging with you intellectually and talking about music and stuff, and that changed his opinion. And I think eventually at a certain point, you know, it becomes almost like cognitive dissonance. You know, when you realize that what you had was a false belief, at a certain point, the evidence becomes so overwhelming that you just can't really continue to believe that way once you get to know somebody, you know, that, you know, and I think that's part of it, too. Well, peer pressure is a very interesting point because it, it brings up the Internet and, of course, a lot of different conversations can can uh, you know cartwheel off of that, which is anonymity and accountability and so forth. But, I, you know, talking about the climate, the social media mob climate that fans the flames and forces decisions out there, sometimes good and sometimes bad, um, based upon the perception of an offense versus a real offense. And one of the, you know, examples was that whole, you know, Donald Sterling and the L.A. Sonics thing. And, you know, some said that the decision to force him out was a business decision, and they made a decision based upon the fact that he was um, impacting uh, their business and bringing people into the games. And others said it was just a social media mob, like I said before, and political correctness run amok. So what are your thoughts on what happened there?
Are you out there, Charles, or did you did we lose you? I, I uh, my uh, my reception kind of died there, and I went into a little bit of a hole, so I couldn't really respond to you. No, I didn't. Uh, in fact, I couldn't hear part of that conversation you were just saying. Well, I was just talking about the whole basketball thing with Donald Sterling and the L.A. Sonics and, and your position on that, whether it was one of those he really did something that he should have paid for. Was it a business decision? Was it something that kind of was blown up out of proportion through social media? What, what are your thoughts on I, what happened there? I really thought about it so greatly, but I, I guess in a, in a point of view is um, he's held to a little bit higher standard because uh, it's, a, it's a public sport and, um, you know, to – I, I don't think he makes this attitude when, you know, the majority of your players are, are players of color, you know, any any more than, you know, having, you know, a racist attitude and then and going and selling your products overseas where most of the people are people of color. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. At a certain point, you should be held accountable, uh, you know, for, you know, trying to hold uh, two different points of view. Now, should he have been forced to sell the team and dispose of it? I don't know. I mean, um, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, you know, when is a fine good enough? When is it enough to say, you know, enough's enough, get out? I mean, I think they wanted to make an example of him. Um, you know, I, I didn't, like I say, though, I don't really know all the details and background of it. Uh, I never really delved into it that much. So I don't really know one way or the other. You know, if that was, you know, appropriate uh, for the situation or not. You know, and for I have to say, uh, just a little as a, a, a housekeeping item, there are a lot of callers out here, but every time they're screened and checked with, they say they don't want to talk on the air. So I, that's a, uh, don't, I mean, it's not like you have to identify yourself. No one's coming after you. So if you want to call in and you do call in and you raise your hand and we go in there and we screen you and say, oh, what would you like to say? And you say, oh, I really don't want to talk, then. Don't call in. You can listen to this from your computer or your laptop or your tablet or whatever. So you, you don't have to call in. Um, but, you know, going back to the Donald Sterling thing, I, I think that, yes, there are people that say very, very stupid things. And, you know, there's a line there where, you know, obviously a business can make whatever decision it likes, but then the basis for that decision becomes a fear-based one where they're afraid of being, you know, strung up, you know, in, in a town hall meeting uh, with the scarlet letter. And so they overreact. And, and I think that if that keeps happening, there are some very um, crafty people out there that will actually manipulate a situation so that they can get a certain end result like that, knowing that they can play to the mob or play to the Coliseum to get that result. So that there's kind of a tipping point where that can become a very dangerous um, game that people play. And then the other thing I think about is, you know, the whole name change with the Washington Redskins. You know, definitely some pros and cons to that. I can see both sides. Um, but I think that after all of this time, when you start putting your foot down and saying, well, if you don't do this, then you're not going to have this tax advantage, then it, it becomes very, um, you know, the government, I just wonder what kind of a role they should be having in enforcing that issue, especially with a with a business. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's a not an easy call. And here's a question for you. Somebody just, how is our political correctness seeping into our political and policy landscape? And they put in here Benghazi and ISIS and uh, Middle Eastern countries and entities that we're not willing to to push um, because we're afraid of offending them. Well, I don't see it that way. Do you, do you see it as us being afraid to offend people? 
no, no. I just think we don't want to get caught in a quagmire of war, and I think that's a different that's thing. I and I think, fortunately, sometimes people say, you know, do you want to do you want to pick this battle? But when people have basically said, we will go and we are going to attempt to kidnap and kill your citizens anywhere we can, you know, these are not people you can easily negotiate with. Um, they hold very radical beliefs, and they're on the opposite spectrum of, you know, I would say even human decency. And um, as a result, I, I think, like, for instance, their uh, public executions, I'll use ISIS as the example. And Gaza is not much different, though, but, um, you know, the public execution. Of, uh, of of essentially um, innocent people, I think has you know thrown people into a situation where you know what we're we're not going to negotiate with these people. We are we are going to react to this. But I also see a larger I see a larger issue at hand. It's not about political correctness, but it's about you know kind of our world in a certain level of infancy and having to grow up. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, we hold some very 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 old beliefs. Uh, you know, when you look at religion, um, you know, some of them formed, you know, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, um, you know, some of their precepts being built up over the years. I'm not saying morality has gone out of date, but, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, some of these thoughts have not kept up with modern times. You know, so I look at these things and I look at ISIS and all that. I look at it as a reaction not only to a re radical religion, but again, people who don't believe that, you know, human beings should evolve. And, um, you know, I, I fundamentally believe that we have to evolve if we want to be successful, be better stewards of this planet, you know, that we can't lock ourselves into the 16th century. And if these people are willing to kill us for that, then, you know, they basically have laying down a gauntlet. That's going to be very difficult for us to not you know, try to push back against that. And I can see that it as being one of the other other ends of the continuum of political correctness, where you know you you say the right thing, and then the other end is you've got to say what you know or live the way that I want you to, or else. And then I th there's another comment that followed up from the previous one that I while we were talking about the um, seeping into our political and policy landscape, and they said that they were talking about also the um, profiling and the pushback that has come from that and getting it in that it gets in the way of our ability to um, protect ourselves and to have um, security because now if you stop people that look suspicious and they happen to look a certain way, um, or, uh, then, you know, you get pushback from political correct, politically correct um, factions. So um, just wanted to clarify that for them uh, and for you as to what they were, what their point was. So. Hmm. Interesting comment about yeah, environmental. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll get to this one later. I was going to say, you know, you talk about profiling. That brings up some fundamental questions about how how do we enable security? Because sometimes profiling is exactly what you want to do to enhance security. I mean, you can take a different. You can look at the difference between the TSA and the way they approach security and the way. Uh, Israel approaches security with their airlines. They obviously do use profiling very effectively to try to identify and isolate who they're going to give more attention to. Um, that might be a security risk. And, you know, you can, you can argue against their methods, but you can also look at their success rate and, and, and say, well, was that a bad thing or was that a good thing? Um, 
you know, do you, do you, who do you want to stop and how do you want to stop them? And I guess you, you look at it not just from a point of view. You're not just looking at somebody's skin color. You're looking at how they're acting. How are they behaving? What are they doing? Maybe that's a different type of profiling. But I think in a lot of cases, when somebody's acting a certain way, it's not just the color of their skin or what they're doing. It's how they're dressed. How are they behaving? Do they fit into the environment? Is this somebody that you would expect to show up on your doorstep at that moment in time? You know, and, and I think it's a natural human reaction that when somebody's out of place, there is going to be a little bit more suspicion. And I don't think of that necessarily as a bad thing. If somebody's really out of place and they're showing up somewhere, you're going to want to know, you know, why is that person there? You may not act. You may not say, you know, you can't be here. But you will also be more aware of your your circumstances, your surroundings, you know, so that you're not a victim of a crime. There are some organizations that make no apologies for uh, doing that, and I can, I can tell you as someone who has traveled to the Middle East quite a bit, and, and in particular Israel, um, they will profile you before you even get into the gate, and they don't care. I mean, it's just the way it happens. They ask questions. They, they look at, uh, if you look suspicious to them, it could be the way you look. It could be what you're doing, like you said, but they make no apologies for that. And yet, you know, as a result of that, they're considered highly secure. So I just, you know, it's a question of trade-offs and what we're willing to do, and "Quote unquote," that this is America and we shouldn't have to do that argument. But you know, times have changed, and and sometimes that requires that we change with it. Um, uh, and then there, I have another comment here, and there's about three more people that said they didn't want to talk on the air. So I'm seeing a pattern here, and we're probably going to sign off early if that's the case. But the the um, chat thing that just came through talked about environmental political correctness. And they are citing the example of the recent uh, climate change walks that took place all over the country. They are citing the New York one in particular and pictures that have popped up over the Internet regarding the the manner in which the um, attendees completely trashed New York and left trash everywhere and used all the buses to spew stuff into the environment and took planes and cars and everything else. Um, and that they consider that a um, hypocritical stance when getting together to talk about climate change. Well, you know, um, yes, I, I think that you're going to have to find a way to get there. From the environment, then? Well, that's that's you the argument. Trash the local <laughs> environment in order to make their point. Yes, yes, that's the that's the point of this comment. I'm, I'm seeing that. So, um, and oh, yes, that's true. The same thing happened in Seattle years ago. Oh, I yeah, I remember the WTO thing. I mean, I was uh, press or media and supposed to go in there and, and talk with NGOs, and people like me could not get in um, to even talk or actually – um, you know, be a part of discussions to make the changes that they were protesting against because they were standing outside protesting and trashing the place. So, I mean, yeah, there is some irony there, and there's some arguments that some of the people that are there are more the eco-terrorists versus the people that are the, um, you know, the the real protesters that are trying to make changes. But it, it does bring up the point of, you know, there are some things you're going to have to do to get to events like this, and you can't not take a plane or a train or a bus or a car. But the whole thing about the trash, I mean, that's, you know, it, it you should put your trash away. And if there's not enough, uh, you know, if there's not enough bins there to keep everything because of the crowds that are there, then carry it out. It doesn't sound great, but carry it out, carry it somewhere else, take it with you. Um, and that's probably what I would have said if I was up on the stage. I would have said, hey, we don't have the resources. Sorry, take it with you. 
you know, here's some plastic bags or here's something. Take it with you, dispose of it someplace where there is room. But, you know, even that becomes kind of a sub You're in kindergarten, you know? Exactly. It becomes, you could just pick things apart to the point where you don't do anything. And so at some point, you know, you have to take a stand and you you have to, you know, make sure that you're still focused on some legitimate issues and not just use it as a, a device to get people off point and to uh, to prolong the point-counterpoint argument. So it looks like... Okay, well, there's one more. There's one more caller. Okay, so we're going to check and see if this person wants to get out of the air. And if they don't, I'm just going to call it a day because I don't think that uh, anything like this has to be talked about forever. So, okay. Oh, no, they're, they don't want to talk. So that's it for me. And, uh, Charles, do you have any other comments that you want to make? Um, well, it's a good subject, but I guess people don't want to get uh, put on the record, so to speak, um, about stuff because, uh, I mean, that, that goes back to an argument we had a long time ago, an argument, a discussion, I should say, uh, about an- anonymity and free speech, I think, uh, and that's part of this conversation as well. Some people don't want to speak up about it because they don't want to be targeted by somebody else um, for having spoke. And, uh, you know, I, I just, there, there's, a, there's a certain amount of discourse that if we are uh, reasonable to one another that I think um, we can we can all get what we want uh, within a reasonable means, expressing differences and yet uh, um, being able to celebrate that we have some commonalities as well. So well, I also think that, um, you know, there's, certain, there's a cocoon. I mean, there are people that can be very, very um, vocal within a private group, but, to, you know, it's a private group of people that they know. And and even though the person is not anonymous, there's a sense of safety there. And then you kind yeah. of expand that out to, you know, Facebook at large. And you're, I have some people that are very, very vocal that are not in the private group, but that are just doing it amongst their friends. But then these are friends that they've chosen, and so there's a sense of safety there. Uh, and they were like, yeah, this is going to be a great topic. I can't wait to call in. You know, I'm going to say this, 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 and this. And so, and they're they're not there. I mean, and so maybe something came up, and it is the middle of the work day, so whatever. But, and, you know, the third part of that is, um, you know, blog talk radio or this show, I mean, we get up to 2,000 listeners all over the world per show. And so that can be very intimidating for people that don't know um you know who those people are, and and they don't know, um, you know what what might happen. But of course, as I said, and I think we've been responding to some of them by chat and saying, don't have to give your name. You know, you don't have to say anything that identifies yourself. So, but they're still not willing to do that. Um, anyway, I think that uh, instead of just hanging around and trying to talk people into speaking up, then I'll just call it a day. And uh, thanks to all of you who tuned in and participated today, uh, including Charles. Thank you. I didn't know you were going to be uh, able to do that because I thought you were out and about. Anyway, you can find this broadcast as a podcast at the site you're listening to uh, using right now. Or go on our Facebook and join us, give us a like, have a conversation at backslash SPR8 Talk Radio. This is your host, Donya Keating, signing off at about 3.37 Pacific Time on Wednesday, September 24th.